0: might have noticed that this was a really, really bad week for Facebook. First, there was this whistleblower from inside the company. She leaked all of these damning documents and then went to testify about them in Congress. She basically said that Facebook is damaging to society.
1: I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division and weaken our democracy.
0: There was also this outage. For hours on Monday, people around the world could not use Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. And for some people, this was mildly annoying. But for so many others, this was a huge disruption to their business or their ability to communicate with their family.
2: Facebook has not said how many people have been affected in the outage, which began just before noon Eastern time. But its platforms altogether have billions of users worldwide.
0: And now it seems like we're all struggling with this tension. We keep hearing over and over again that Facebook is dangerous in so many different ways. That it's bad for democracy. That it's bad for our mental health. A lot of us are thinking about quitting. But we can't seem to live without it for even a couple of hours. So what do we do? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, October 8th.
1: I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits.
0: That's Frances
3: Haugen, the whistleblower who testified before Congress this week. And she's downloaded not just some documents, but tens of thousands of documents that she says expose that Facebook continuously withheld information from the public that showed how its products, various products, were harmful to society.
0: Elizabeth Dwoskin covers social media and democracy for The
3: Post. She has talked about Instagram. She's talked about an internal study of girls with mental health challenges and low self-esteem issues, body image challenges. And what it found is for teenage girls who already are coming in with those challenges, Instagram made them feel worse. She also alleges that the company made changes after the election that helped enable the January 6th insurrection to take place. And she says that the company made changes to its algorithm in 2018, that it knew would emphasize extremist content and kind of push publishers to more sensationalist content. And she says it did that knowingly as well.
1: The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence that harms and even kills people.
0: So who is this person, Frances Haugen? What was her role at Facebook? And what do we know about why she decided to come forward with all this information?
3: She was a product manager on the civic integrity team at Facebook. This is a unit that has been developed within Facebook in the last few years, essentially as a response to its many problems. It tends to attract people who are academics, who are critics of Facebook, who came in and told their job interviewers, I'm coming into this job because I think the company has problems. And so at some point, she started basically downloading a large amount of documents that were put out by researchers mm. within the integrity team. And what she said, what she has said consistently, is that she didn't think that the company would reform itself. She thought that the company, in fact, ignored negative information or pushed it aside. And she called the company morally bankrupt. She said, I'm coming forward because this company needs to be regulated. And that's the only way.
0: So Frances Haugen actually testified before Congress on Tuesday. What is it that Congress wanted to know from her? Why was she asked to come forward and give this testimony?
3: Well, Congress has had a number of hearings in the last few years that have put the spotlight, particularly on Facebook, around privacy and Cambridge Analytica, around antitrust and competition issues. And the way I see this is, you know, the tech industry is not really regulated at all. The one piece of law that touches them, Section 230, that is a 20-plus-year-old law that essentially says they have immunity, uh, legal immunity, they're shielded from any kind of liability around harmful content on their platform. So there's a huge lack of regulation in tech, and Congress wants to do something about it. There's lots of members of Congress that do on the left and the right. We have not done anything to update our privacy laws in this country, our federal privacy laws, nothing zilch in any major way. Mm -hmm. We have done nothing when it comes to making the algorithms more transparent, allowing for the university research that you referred to. Why? Because Facebook and the other tech companies are throwing a bunch of money around this town and people are listening to them. There's been a number of hearings over the years and the idea is lawmakers really want to keep that drumbeat of criticism. They want to keep these companies, but particularly Facebook, in the public spotlight. But this hearing of all the hearings that I've seen, this one was like the most electrifying because it wasn't about some more abstract issues around privacy competition. It was literally about teenage girls and suicidal thoughts. It was about our children. It was just much more relatable.
1: I also want to emphasize for people that that eating disorders are serious, right? There are going to be women walking around this planet in 60 years with brittle bones because of choices that, fa- that Facebook made around emphasizing profit today. Or there are going to be women when, when in 20 years who want to have babies who can't because they're infertile as a result of eating disorders today. They're serious. And I think there's an opportunity here for having public oversight and public involvement, especially in matters that impact children.
3: What I will tell you, though, with a caveat is that having talked to some people at Facebook who worked on these things directly, they didn't think that she characterized everything correctly. And one piece that you did not hear from her is she did allege over and over again that the company did nothing in response to its own research, but she wasn't You know, and this is Facebook's rebuttal. She wasn't actually in the room when they did the research. She downloaded the research. And so she doesn't know what the response was to the research internally. I'm
0: curious to hear more about how Facebook responded to all these
3: allegations. Facebook in general has been in a very defensive posture. It's like they took the gloves off this year on a lot of different things. You know, a couple of years ago when Russian disinformation was on their platform or they had a Cambridge Analytica scandal Zuckerberg the CEO he comes out he apologizes profusely but this time you didn't hear from Zuckerberg till way after the hearing on Tuesday night he weighed in on his Facebook wall there was his absence and he was posting pictures of himself sailing in various rural locations it was almost like a screw you to the story but then Facebook has this army of PR people that go online on Twitter, have been sending out briefings every day. Like, if you're a journalist covering this, you're getting constant emails from them rebutting Francis Haugen.
0: So I'm curious, at this hearing, what was the response from these members of Congress who heard this testimony? And, like, was there any indication of whether they feel like it's finally time to take action and regulate more of what Facebook does?
3: I mean, they say they do, but we were at a hearing a couple of months ago where they also said over and over again in the hearing, Facebook it's your time to be regulated. It will you will be regulated this year. Okay? So that was months ago. Now we're in October. Two more months. Do you think Facebook is going to be regulated this year? Facebook politically is playing the long game. This scandal is obviously horrible for them. And they also have put a lot of money into saying that they support updated internet regulations that they support new regulations. And I think what what they know and what those of us that cover this know is that Congress can't agree on anything related to internet regulations. And that fundamentally hasn't changed. For example, everyone will talk about, oh, the problems of misinformation. But you just take it out one step further and say, well, let's say some misinformation leads to hate speech. Should we, how should we build algorithms that take down hate speech? What if it has a lot of false positives and it ends up censoring more speech than it should, as a lot of Facebook's algorithms do? Frances Haugen kept saying this debate between free speech versus harm is a false choice.
1: Facebook wants you to believe that the problems we're talking about are unsolvable. They want you to believe in false choices. They want you to believe that you must choose between a Facebook full of divisive and extreme content or losing one of the most important values our country was founded upon, free speech.
3: And she said, and there's a number of bills both in the US Congress and also in Europe, that are finding solutions and ways to regulate harmful content, even misinformation in some cases, hate speech, that are saying how can we give tech companies some protections but also hold them accountable.
1: That you must choose between public oversight of Facebook's choices and your personal privacy. That to be able to share fun photos of your kids with old friends, you must also be inundated with anger-driven virality. They want you to believe that this is just part of the deal. I am here today to tell you that's not true. These problems are solvable. A safer, free speech-respecting, more enjoyable social media is possible.
0: I think in part because of Francis Haugen's testimony, in addition to so many of the other things that we've seen over the past many years that have made people concerned about Facebook, that there is this increasing sense of like, maybe this is just a company that is not good, or maybe this is a company that like we as individuals don't want to participate in. But then you have this outage that happened on Monday where Facebook and all its products were basically not operable for hours. And so that's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's WhatsApp, which is the communication method that people are using around the world to conduct business, to talk to their families. And so it felt like that kind of highlighted this irony that, yes, we say maybe Facebook is just doing too much bad and maybe we should start to extricate ourselves from our relationship with this company. But It's everywhere and a part of everything and has become really fundamental to how we as a society communicate.
3: It is an essential service. It is like a utility. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't talk about it anymore, but back like 11, 12 years ago, he used to talk about Facebook wanting to be like a utility. And it has become that way, particularly in countries like the Philippines. Like Facebook Messenger is the way that people send text messages. They don't really send text. They use Messenger. Lots of countries, people are just using WhatsApp to communicate. You know, I've been on this show before and we've often talked, we've talked about Facebook and you've often asked me, like, we come to this really intractable social problem. And you've asked me before, what should we do? And I think just the fact that this industry that I've been covering for all these years, I've been saying to people recently, you know, if it gets regulated, you know, that will be a huge moment. This would be really different for me if I was a reporter covering healthcare or banking, where you're like, okay, there's rules of the road. Do the companies break those rules? And here, there aren't clear rules of the road about how much harmful content do we as a society agree should be allowed on a social platform, if at all? What's the relationship to news publishers and speech? Uh, What's the relationship to powerful people like politicians who also use these services to broadcast to great effect? What is the role of the algorithms and the neutral pipes? And each one of those questions has to be tackled. And I hope that we'll see some new regulation or actual regulation, you know, some legal and social consensus around these harms that everyone feels universally are harms. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you.
0: Elizabeth Dwoskin covers social media and democracy for The Post. After the break, what we can do to protect ourselves online in the absence of regulation. We'll be right back. All of this terrible news about Facebook this week has left many of us wondering, what should we do about it? Like, should we just delete Facebook? And if so, what do we lose? I know this is a little bit ironic, but I actually put this question to our Post Reports Facebook group, and we heard from a lot of listeners who had very similar concerns. One of them named Marivette pointed out that a lot of us are really critical of Facebook, but we still rely on it. And she was wondering, how do we stay connected to our friends and family without Facebook? This is something that I have been struggling with myself, because I use WhatsApp to stay in touch with my family. I sometimes use Instagram and then get tired of Instagram because I spend too much time on it. And then with Facebook, I love having a way to connect with our listeners in this Post Reports Facebook group. So I am asking myself all the time, can I give all of that up? And how many people will give all of that up because of this news?
2: Ultimately, we're going to be not too surprised to find out it doesn't change much for Facebook as a company. It has nearly 3 billion people. Maybe a few thousand will say this is the last straw, but I think by and large, Facebook is is still going to be fine.
0: Heather Kelly is a personal tech reporter for the Post Help Desk, which means she gives advice about how we should use technology. And even though she doesn't think that too many users will give up Facebook, she did notice something interesting in this week's hearing.
2: It was one of the few times that lawmakers didn't sort of derail it to talk about, you know, censoring conservatives on the platform because it was about children. And it was this one topic that really brought all these lawmakers together. They're all equally concerned about kids and what's happening On these platforms, and they asked serious questions and they took it seriously. And I I think that's a good sign that while
0: users may not leave, there might be some regulations coming. So, do you think that normal people should be worried about what they're hearing in this testimony and what they're hearing in the news about Facebook and even other social media companies? I mean, do you think that this is something that more people should be paying attention to?
2: I do. I think absolutely everybody should be very aware of what Facebook is, what goes on behind the scenes, specifically how it makes its money. It is not a nonprofit organization. Facebook is an advertising company. It makes, I believe, 96 percent of its revenue is from ads served to you. And I don't necessarily think that means people have to leave Facebook or get off Facebook. That's a big ask for a lot of people around the world who use it as like their primary tool of communication, But it should change how we use Facebook, especially for people under 18.
0: Yeah. And tell me more about what you're recommending, especially for young people in terms of rethinking their relationship with this company. So much
2: about the rules we make for kids depends on your actual kids, what you think they can handle. If you really want to go all the way and like ban Facebook and Instagram, will they listen to you or are they a normal teenager? I talked to some experts and I, I think the biggest piece of advice is don't try to just delete their Instagram. Uh, what you're doing is you're closing off a line of communication with your kids. You're forcing them to do something in secret, which we know children—they're—they're going to find a way. If they really want to be on Instagram, they're going to find a way. So instead of doing that, let's talk about it. Let's let's make it a condition of you having Instagram is that I can maybe see what you follow or what accounts you follow. We talk about it all the time. You tell me what you're concerned about. That was really the biggest tip and biggest takeaway I had for for parents.
0: So that's for parents who have children that they're worried about their relationship with something like Instagram, which obviously is owned by Facebook. But, I mean, I was hearing this testimony that was allegedly about teenage girls, but I heard myself in that. I know what that feeling is like being on Instagram or even on Facebook or whatever, looking at other people's lives, thinking how much better their lives are than my life. What am I doing wrong? What does it say about me? Like leaving that experience, feeling really bad. And so I do wonder, for people who are interested and curious and capable of deleting Facebook or Instagram, don't have a real, you know, professional or otherwise need to be on this platform, like, would you encourage them to say, like, look, maybe just get rid of your account? Oh, it's so
2: hard. I mean, it is a lot of For a lot of people, that's how they stay in touch with their communities. Uh, Think about Facebook groups. Facebook Mm -hmm. groups are one of the main ways I feel like people are trapped on Facebook. You've got groups for people who are suffering from long COVID. Where Mm. else are they going to find these sort of, you know, far off medical communities? People aren't maybe near you. Maybe they're in a different country and you're communicating about like sort of the shared experience that you have. So I I do think it's kind of unfair to expect people to do that. But if somebody Mm. really is not that connected to people on Facebook, if they're not using WhatsApp, if Instagram is not sparking joy, delete them. And really delete them. Don't disable them. Facebook's going to try and trick you there. They're different things, but just delete it forever.
0: What would have to change for you to feel totally comfortable and OK about using Facebook products? I think there needs to be a kind of a change at the top of the culture of Facebook. Like
2: right now, there's this mistrust of of Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Like their approach to this is expand, 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 more people, more people, money, money. And I mean, they're business people. It makes sense. That's what a business is. But it needs to be considered as something other than a business at this point. It is in many countries, like almost a public utility. Facebook basics, you know, gives people free Internet. And that internet goes through Facebook. And that's that's what they know as being online. So I think for me to fully trust is I'm not sure I can trust who's in charge right now. And I would like to see maybe some new people in charge and a, a new direction.
0: Heather Kelly is a personal tech reporter for The Post. Today's show was produced by Emma Telkoff and Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Rennie Svernovsky. That's it for today's show. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Dio and Ted Muldoon. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan-Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Renny Svarnovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Our engineer is Sean Carter. The Post Director of Audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.